Blog Talk Radio. Over 14 million people witnessed his emotional story of survival and triumph on national television. I've been doing this now for so long, like ever since I was a kid. Millions more voted him their favorite in a landslide win. The winner is... And now, you can be a part of the experience live. Landau Eugene Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. Ain't that a kick in the head? You're America's Got Talent winner. I've got you. Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. Under my Live, live. Performing classics from the Great American Songbook and his Columbia Records debut CD, That's Life. That's Life. Landau Eugene Murphy Jr.'s That's Life Tour. The one concert event this year you absolutely can't miss. Thanks for listening to the Burke Allen Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network and podcasters everywhere. If you're listening to us live uh, on the stream today, the number to call 646-668-2462, 646-668-2462. We'd love to get your uh, questions on our message board as well. For our guest today, Prestel Askia. Prestel is the author of the book, The Couple's Cure, available at Amazon.com and booksellers everywhere. And it's it's really a guide on how to build on relationships and avoid those meltdown conflicts, and also to know when to call it quits. What is the point of no return? Um, as we do the show live, we're just a week out of Valentine's Day, so certainly we're talking about uh, romantic relationships, but we're really talking about communication in all sorts of relationships. And, and so why is Prestel an authority on this? She did over 500 interviews with people from all races, religions, sexual orientations, ethnicities. Uh, she works with Fortune 500 companies on human resource issues, has dedicated over 25 years to really diving deep into helping businesses and individuals find solutions to their communications and relationship issues. And we are just tickled pink to have her on the Burke Allen Show today, calling in from the Bay Area of California Prestel Esquia, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Burke. Good morning to you and greetings from the Bay Area. And by the way, I should mention that Prestel has a, uh, a big article coming up uh, on Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global publication uh, that rolls out in February as well. She is the head of the Esquia Group, which is a, a woman-owned management and professional development training firm. And, uh, and Prestel... Let's get right into it. We're, we're just coming out of, of Valentine's Day, and I hope that, that you and, uh, and your significant other had a wonderful Valentine's Day. Um, let's talk about love, the, the big L word. What is the big difference in your mind between love and infatuation? Break that down. Oh, my. That's one of my favorites. The difference between love and infatuation, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you characteristics about love as opposed to infatuation. And what I want to do is clarify a couple of things. Number one, there is a difference between adult interpersonal relationships, love, 
and the unadulterated love that human beings experience for, uh, for example, grandchildren, the love we experience between grandchildren and ourselves, that's totally unadulterated. But what I'm going to focus on are the primary characteristics of romantic relationship love between adults. And I'm going to give you three different definitions because everyone defines love a little differently. So the classic definition, according to Webster, of love, as opposed to infatuation, is a deep feeling, if you will, of tenderness, warmth, intimacy, um, endearment, devotion, those are the feelings and attachments that go along with the classic definition of love. And so now I'm going to shift to a second to explain how this love feeling, and that's really what it is, it's an emotional uh, connectivity. But the second definition explains the emotional connectivity that people have, feel, and experience, not for the moment, but for the duration. And here's what I mean. People can be in love, or what they think may well be love, for short periods of time, and then there's a breakup, and they come to a point where, indeed, they want to commit harry-carry on one another. That's not true love. True love (laughs) is – true love, seriously, true love – is in fact that emotional connectivity that never goes away. And even though you may not be married or in a partnership with the love, you still wish them no ill, no harm. And that love remains with you for decades and oftentimes a lifetime. And one more example of love that I want to share, and this comes from my uh, one of my favorite poets, Khalil Gibran, the Lebanese-American poet and author. And uh, my favorite book by Khalil Gibran is The Prophet. And in The Prophet, he explains love in his essay on love as a spiritual enlightenment. And what he says is that when love beckons you, follow him, for his ways are hard and steep. And he goes on to say that as love crowns you, so shall it crucify you. And what he means is the deeper you love, the deeper and more vulnerable we become. And in In spite of the vulnerabilities, and we may not always be with that person that we are in love with at that particular time, we still sing praises of love from the heart, and we reach out, we wish them no ill, no harm, as I mentioned before, and the the, the bottom line with regards to Khalil Gibran is this, he says, if you're not willing to make yourself vulnerable for the depth of love because you are concerned about being hurt, then don't go that way. Maintain that protective barrier, and unfortunately, you will never truly experience what love is all about. And so those are my three characteristics, definitions of love, and they do vary because everyone has a different take on love, and that is quite uh, 180 degrees different from infatuation. Infatuation oftentimes 
is a short-lived emotional experience that is uh, quite frequently referred to as being in lust or in like, but it's not necessarily long-term love. Christella Ski is our guest today. She wrote the Couples Cure book, and uh, we're talking about the difference between love and infatuation because a lot of people obviously get those two things conflated a little bit. Um, you're working on a new book that I think is is going to be very controversial, but also is is very much of our time. A, a book uh, on sex and the workplace, and I uh, I've got to ask you is 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 your thought that that is more or less acceptable, or is this something that that is just inevitable because people are thrown together in in that way? There is no one single answer or response to sex in the workplace. Here's what we've got, and here's what the book is going to focus on. The book will become the ultimate guide for sex and the workplace because there is nothing in the way of a legal definition uh, about sex and the workplace as it stands right now. And quite often, it doesn't even come to the surface until there are abusive situations and exploitations that occur. And by the way, not all sex in the workplace is bad. But let's let's address the bad, the good, the ugly. So to answer your question, sex in the workplace needs to be tempered. It needs to be monitored. It needs to have specific and appropriate guidelines Sex in the workplace, by far and large, and what we hear in today's media with the Harvey Weinsteins, the Bill Cosbys, the James Francos and company, those sex in the workplace scenarios are all based on power, where you've got individuals in very powerful positions who, in essence, take advantage of others who want to be promoted, who want to move up in the ranks of their industry, whatever that happens to be. That's not a good thing. That's the evil. On the other hand, there are romantic relationships that develop in the workplace that go on to be lifelong partners, and they are healthy relationships. Um, Example that comes to mind are the Obamas. Former President Obama and Michelle Obama met in their workplace, and the relationship was reluctant. Michelle Obama was uh, reluctant initially, but ultimately, look where they are now. A lifelong, happy relationship. Do they have challenges? Absolutely. We all do in our relationships. But the fact is you can have healthy relationships. So it's not all, uh, no, don't go into relationship. Approach them with caution, and this book is designed to do just that, both to in both individuals, both parties who are involved in those relationships, how to handle them, and that's really the critical key, how to handle those relationships uh, when you're involved in the workplace. And I hope that answered your question, Burke. That was a long-winded explanation, but that subject is not a yes or no answer, nor is it easily responded to. No, you're right, and, and it is certainly a dicey proposition at best. And uh, if you're just joining us on the uh, the broadcast, Sex in the Workplace, 
is the new book that's coming out uh, soon from Prestel Eskia. Her current book is The Couple's Cure Book. And Prestel, I want to talk about some other communications things, but I have one more, one more uh, uh, intimate couples question for you. In, in sure. The Couple's Cure Book, you wrote about something that they call the platinum sex rule. And, uh, and I, I have to ask about that because that, that, uh, you know, that raises the eyebrow a little bit. What is the platinum sex rule? <laughs> Burke, I'd be remiss if, if I've written a book about relationships, and quite often people do, and they don't address the issue of sex and intimacy. So the yes. platinum sex rule is a process that was designed to ensure that two people who are involved in a relationship, in a committed relationship, this is not about a booty call or about how to get a guy, how to date a girl. This is a serious, <laughs> seriously, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a seriously uh, focused process because people don't talk about sex in spite of the fact that they may well be in intimate relationships there may well be challenges but people and couples and partners don't talk about sex and so the platinum sex rule is designed to guide very gently guide because it's a it's a very delicate subject very gently gently um guide partners and couples through the process of understanding, first understanding, and then working through the challenges of sex, sensuality, and intimacy. And each of those are very, very different. And so the platinum sex rule was developed, coined, created to very specifically address the challenges of sex in a partnership and walk couples through how to attain loving, intimacy, sex, and sexuality in their relationship. So, so the platinum sex rule is not, you know, don't leave your boxers on the bedroom floor. There's, there's a little more involved there. It's not <laughs> one specific thing. All right. That's right. Hey, if That's I, right. if, if folks way, want to find out idea, more don't... about yes, don't do that. Don't <laughs> Ah, Prestel says, yeah, and, and by the way, don't do that. Do not leave That's your right. boxers on the floor. All right. Uh, Prestel Skia is our guest today. We're talking about uh, love and relationships, but, but not just uh, romantic, intimate relationships. Uh, Prestel has written this book, the, the Couples Cure book, where she actually talked to uh, 500 people and, and did these deep dive interviews with them about different kinds of relationships. So, so, Prestel, if we can, I know that you do a lot of uh, advising of, of big Fortune 500 companies on, on interpersonal relationships and how people uh, interact with one another. So let's talk about um, uh, communication, which is really, I believe, at the core of, of all relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, a business relationship. Um, and, and it seems to me, having a studio here in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital, that, that communication is certainly as important as it's ever been, maybe more important now, but there's a whole phenomenon that seems to have, have taken effect and, and has accelerated uh, recently where you've got a lot of folks that are just talking over one another. There's not a whole lot of listening going on, a lot of talking going on. Um, and, and I wonder your thoughts on, on this tone that seems to be set with our political leaders and, and 
what, if anything, we can do about it. Burke, I agree with you. Communication is essential, whether it's a an intimate relationship, partnership, uh, even in our political environment. It matters not. We have to communicate, and that is the essence of problem and issues resolution, the ability to communicate with one another and understand how to resolve problems. And we have problems right now in the Beltway. And so communication is paramount. And my philosophy as it relates, and this is what I share with our business clients and those individuals that I coach in business and executive positions, and this is this is what it is in essence. Seek first to understand, then be understood, so that if there is an issue on the table, work to understand what the other side of the aisle, what the other side of the table, what the other company is looking for, and then share your philosophies, attitudes, needs, and wants, and then come to an agreeable, and that's the operative word, agreeable, because you negotiate. You give a little, you take a little. You give here, you offer there. And the the bottom line is to be able to come to an amicable agreement so that it is truly a win-win situation for everyone involved. And if our leaders in Washington, D.C., would simply sit back, breathe, and put forth the effort to understand one another and work toward an amicable decision, we could resolve a lot of problems and uh, far more quickly than we have. I wonder sometimes, Prestel, too, if, if social media has not been uh, detrimental in that way. And, and, and you know, if you have a, a Twitter feed, a, a Facebook feed, and, and people, it, it, it's not designed for you to seek to understand first. It's it's designed by its very nature to put your thoughts out there and and uh, and try to convince others of your way of thinking rather than uh, than than you know the, the other way around, which I think makes a lot of sense to seek to understand. So when it comes to social media, is it a good thing or a bad thing in terms of communication? What say you? What I say is a generational <laughs> a generational divide. Social media definitely has its place and can be very influential. It's a fast, easy way to communicate and to share our thoughts and to share vast amounts of information in a very quick uh, pace, if you will. However, and that, there's a major semicolon here. That is on a positive vein. However, if you're attempting to persuade and you're attempting to convey your political feelings and your thoughts and you're attacking and you are apprehensive about dealing with people, and, and this is exactly what happens in a one-on-one because the, the Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram are all so easy to sit and stand behind and put your feelings out there uh, and and attack and be most of the time in this current environment in the Washington D.C. area, uh, the information is negative, 
And that does not lead to healthy resolutions of anything. And if I had my druthers, you asked my opinion, if I had my druthers, yep. I, I would enact from a legislation, legislative standpoint um, a policy uh, that, that prohibits opinions about political individuals, circumstances, and situations, that is not the way to legislate and run our democracy here. That's not what this country is based on and not the way that we've been designed and should not be the way we communicate with one another. You know, I, um, I, I see in my social media feed, I have friends on the left and friends on the right, and, and they both are, are very passionate about their viewpoint. And, and as I scroll through those feeds, I I, I tend to wonder if anybody has ever been convinced by somebody bloviating on, on Facebook or Twitter about their, their thoughts on things. Bastel Astia is our yeah. guest. She, she is a, a, an expert on communications, uh, both between people, and uh, thus her book, The Couple's Cure Book, and, and also in, in uh, the corporate world. Uh, Presto, we've got a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you about a couple of other things that are in the news right yeah. now for folks who might be listening to us live. Um, this this amazing story about uh, Jesse Smollett from the television show Empire, and and you had just mentioned and it, it triggered in my mind this sort of rush to communicate before seeking to understand. It certainly appears as of this broadcast that that's exactly what happened with the media. They they wanted to get this story out even though it had uh, all kinds of holes in it and the Chicago Police Department. Uh, was was skeptical from from the jump with it being you know the middle of a polar vortex and how many people are possibly walking around with rope at two thirty in the morning and and on and on and on and yet it it sort of fit into this pre made narrative that the media wanted to to jump all over and now it appears as if uh, Smollett you know may have hired these two brothers to attack him for for reasons unknown as of this broadcast he's not communicating with police it was announced uh, this morning again as of this. This live broadcast that his, his role has been slashed on his TV show, Empire, that the young man may never work again. We don't really know exactly what happened because he's not talking. Um, but I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on sort of this, this rush to media judgment. And, by the way, I'll tack on, now, of course, that, that media judgment has swung the other direction where it's in an attack mode on this guy. And we still really don't know what's going on. So, so is there some media culpability in trying to get out in front of things before the facts are, are all set? And how does that influence how everyone communicates? Wow, that's a loaded question. But the the fact is, not but and, the, and the fact is in order to make informed, and that's the, that's the key word, informed decisions about any circumstance, we need to have the facts. And when media, social media, print, uh, radio, TV, when media jumps to conclusions with part and only parts of information, lives are affected, and then the retraction, and my position is to Wait until, and I realize that it does not make for good headlines and good sales at the stands, but the fact is we need to wait until we've got all the facts and make sure that we understand what has truly occurred 
and sort through those facts because there are two sides to every story. Um, and sometimes people embellish and sometimes they flat out lie. But let's dig down, let's drill down, get to the root of the story, whatever that happens to be, and then make some decisions. And that's contrary, I realize, to what media wants to do because the, the inclination is to jump out first and fast and, and make sure that you are first uh, with the breaking news, if you will. But I think it's a major disservice to everyone involved, to those of us that are readers and consumers of media and the individuals and circumstances involved as well because there's so much misinformation. There should never be a circumstance where we go and take a story from zero when the incident occurred to 180 degrees to people who, um, and, and this is the Smollett situation, who worked with him, and now it's back to zero or somewhere in between, and we still don't have all the facts. So my recommendation would be to hold off until we've got the facts, and I know that is contrary to what the media and the outlets all want to hear and see, but the, the fact is there too much of that has gone on. There's, a, there's an element of the genie being out of the bottle in this 24-7 news cycle that, you know, just a generation ago, a daily newspaper would come out each day, and that would at least give, you know, a good 12, 14 hours for reporters to run things down. And there was the the evening news, and boy, it sounds antiquated to think about the Walter Cronkite and, and later Dan Rather day when, you know, people would wait for the evening news to, to pass judgment, and at least it gave those journalists time to, to dive in and, and get to the bottom of things. Now, uh, with that genie out of the bottle in the 24-7 news cycle on the Internet, it seems that people jump in quickly. One other communication story that has come out, and, and these kinds of stories, you know, uh, float to the surface occasionally. I always feel like they're tragic. And, and uh, again, as a communications expert, I wanted to get your quick take on it. There's a, a former NFL player, and I'm not sure how closely you follow sports. He, he played for the Seattle Seahawks. His name is T.J. Cunningham, uh, big wide receiver in Colorado. If, if you followed college ball in the early 90s, he uh, lives in Colorado, lived in Colorado, and he got into an argument with a guy who lives across the street from him um, over a parking space, a parking spot on their street. Uh, and, and the neighbor shot T.J. Cunningham and killed him, shot him multiple wow. times over this parking space. And, and you know, these, these stories do come up occasionally not always with a high-profile individual like T.J. Cunningham, but, but they do come up. And, and I have to wonder to what extent um, uh, communications can be crafted to avoid some of this, or frankly, Prestel, to, to just call it out there, is this more indicative of, of a mental health crisis? Is it, is it extreme anger or is it mental health? And, and if, it, if it is something that can be done to – to improve these interpersonal communications, what is it? Uh, let me say this. Uh, with regards to Cunningham, and there was another recent uh, high-profile, Alec Baldwin in New York, over a parking place. Yeah. Um, yeah. While I am a life coach and relationship coach and specialize in communications, I'm not a psychologist, but what I do know for certain with out of doubt and unequivocally, is that 
as human beings, we must prioritize what is important. Is a parking place worth giving a life for? Is a parking place worth being hauled into court and sentenced and bail and the whole whole kit and caboodle? But 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 here's here's the deal: we pick, we must pick and choose our battles. We must pick and choose our priorities. And having lived, and I'm going to use Alec Baldwin, and I'll come back to Cunningham momentarily. Um, having lived in New York, I I swore when I lived there that people simply bought cars. And park them. They never moved them because there were never any spaces available when I was looking for one. But on the other hand, is it so critical to give up my life or to take a life in that case because someone has taken my parking place and I say, no, it's not worth it. We have got to get back to basics as human beings and think about the consequences before we act. And is that a mental health crisis? Burke, I don't think so. I think it's a matter of that anxiety and, and the society in which we live where it's it's right now, give or take, I want it, and this is what I want. I'm not willing to give up anything for it. But if we would all just take a minute, breathe, count to 10, and then address the priority is it really worth that in terms of values and i think the answer is going to be no in both those situations and others so that we understand and redirect our behavior when it comes to those kinds of situations civility is in short supply prestel eskia can help get more of it into your life though she's the author of the couple's cure book it's available on amazon you can also find her at theaskiagroup.com. That's it for today's show, Prestel. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening. Wherever you go, whatever you do, get out there and make it a great day. <laughs>